This business meeting of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee will come to order. Uh, today we'll be taking up two bills and nine nominations that were held over from our business meeting on Tuesday. And before I turn to the agenda, I'd like to make some brief remarks about our committee and its practices. I'm a believer in the ability of senators on this committee to hold over an item. As chair, I have always honored holdover requests, but we are seeing a new and unfortunate trend on the committee. One is different than anything I've seen during my 14 years uh, on the Foreign Relations Committee, one that is putting additional burdens on all of your time, and one that I find to be counterproductive to our collective cause, advancing the foreign policy and national security of the United States. I cannot recall a time when there was a blanket holdover on career nominees, people who sacrifice to serve their country and then are held in limbo, presumably because of unhappiness over a policy that has nothing to do with the positions for which they have been nominated and over which they have no influence. I don't recall any Democratic member doing that during the Trump administration. I certainly did oh, not, and I would not have supported it despite deeply problematic policies and behavior at the most senior levels of that administration. Similarly, I cannot remember any situation that is analogous to the holdovers of the Uyghur Forced Labor Act and the Israel Normalization Act. Both of these bills have been co-sponsored by 50 or more senators. Think about that. Half of the Senate or more is on these bills. Yet debate amendments and votes with seven days' notice would for some reason not have been sufficient to move them out of committee without a holdover. We need to return to a place where we are moving strong, bipartisan legislation and career nominees in particular, in regular order and without holdovers. Finally, a housekeeping note. In consultation with the ranking member, I set amendment deadlines for each business meeting. These deadlines are shared with every member of the committee and noticed publicly seven days in advance. The purpose of the deadlines is to ensure that we are balancing members' rights to offer amendments with the need for each member to have the opportunity to adequately consider all amendments prior to the market. We have run into several situations recently where members have submitted amendments after the deadline. And while I have tried to be flexible within reason and have treated Democratic and Republican members in the same manner, I am concerned that if this trend continues, it will ultimately undermine the purpose and utility of the amendment deadline to the detriment of all members. As a matter of fact, there are several of our colleagues who have spoken to me in the past about the concerns they have of not having ample time to understand the amendments being offered, and that's uh, what in part brought those deadlines. As a result, going forward, I do not plan to take up amendments that are filed after the applicable deadline. Please keep this in mind for future business meetings, and I will be uh, rather firm on that proposition. I think every member has a right to offer amendments, and I think every member has a right to understand what amendments are being offered so they can cast an educated uh, vote. With that, let me turn to today's agenda. The two bills before us are S-65, the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, and S-1061, the Israel Relations Normalization Act. As you all know, the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act was pending before the committee last year, and Senators Rubio and Merkley reintroduced a modified version this Congress. And while I'm pleased that the sanctions provision from this bill passed out of our committee in the Strategic Competition Act and has now been approved by the full Senate, 
The full bill is, the, the full bill is critical to addressing the genocide in Xinjiang. So I want to commend Senators Rubio and Merkley for their leadership on this issue, and particularly for their extensive engagement with the prior administration and the current administration on the technical aspects of the text. I also know that the administration announced yesterday that it has taken certain additional steps to combat forced labor in Xinjiang. Nonetheless, it is time for us to act on this piece of legislation. I look forward to passing it out of the committee today with a strong bipartisan vote, and I intend to support it. Turning to the Israel Relations Normalization Act, I'd like to recognize Senators Portman and Booker for their leadership on the bill, which represents important bipartisan support for the Abraham Accords and continued U.S. leadership in promoting Arab-Israeli cooperation. I'm pleased that the substitute amendment we are considering today incorporates amendments filed in advance of our last markup by Senators Kane, Van Hollen, Merkley, with the support of Senator Risch. This bill clearly has the support of many of our colleagues in the Senate, and I look to its swift passage. Finally, turning to the nominations before us today, we have a number of qualified nominees, including ambassadorial nominees for Algeria, Angola, Sao Tome, Principe, Cameroon, Lesotho, the Republic of Congo, and Somalia. We also have before us three assistant secretary nominees for international organization affairs, international narcotics and law enforcement and affairs, and East Asia and Pacific affairs. I look forward to their quick confirmations. I also want to note that I believe the I.O. Bureau in particular is in dire need of strong seasoned leadership. Many of us will recall the concerning reports of re political retaliation and poor management that were documented by the State Department Inspector General in a report issued by my office. I'm confident that Ambassador Michelle Sison has the skills and experience to rebuild morale and capably lead the I.O. Bureau. With that, let me recognize the distinguished ranking member for his remarks. Well, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Chairman. First of all, let me briefly respond to your uh, remarks on process. Uh, as you know, uh, I have a no-whining policy, and I recognize the uh, chairman's ability in the committee to run the committee, and it's having been in uh, the, an institution like this for 41 years. Uh, it's important, I think, that the chairman have the uh, uh, ability to do that. Uh, what you're talking about is not a change of the rules, but a change of the procedure. Uh, the only suggestion I would have, and I, I think it's important that uh, everyone have a full understanding of where we're going, is that you do a memo, maybe, and put it in writing as far as what to expect in the future. I think that will make it... Uh, make yeah, it uh, if I may, uh, I, I, I'm not changing the procedure. What I'm doing is simply adhering to the procedure we're supposed to have, which has bled over by people filing after the amendment deadline. So I'm just notifying people we're going to live within the rules as we adopt it. Fair enough. Thank you, uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. We'll work, uh, as you know, we'll work with you every way we can to make this uh, work. Turning to the uh, business meeting uh, very briefly because we've already uh, uh, worked this over quite a bit. On the Israel bill, as I mentioned on Tuesday, I'm glad to see that uh, Senate Bill 1061, the Israel Relations Normalization Act, will be voted on by the committee. The last time I checked, the bill had over 50 co-sponsors. In particular, I want to recognize Senators Portman, Booker, Cardin, Young, and Menendez for their leadership on this bill, which emphasizes the importance of normalization agreements between Israel and its Arab neighbors. Uh, this has wide support within uh, this body, and rightfully so. Many of us have concerns that the administration lacks the resources to further the Accords. This important legislation requires a strategy to strengthen and expand the Abraham Accords and an assessment 
of resources required to do so. These agreements and agreements like them have the potential to transform the Middle East, and I hope Congress will act swiftly uh, to approve this bill. As to the uh, Uyghur forced labor bill, let me start by uh, thanking Senators Rubio and Merkley, recognizing them for their work on this. Uh, certainly important uh, work. It is another bill that uh, has brought broad bipartisan support. The atrocities and human rights abuses being committed by the Chinese government in Xinjiang are truly abhorrent. The PRC government's endorsement of, of forced labor in Xinjiang is detestable, and this bill will focus on our government's diplomatic and economic efforts to address this practice. Senate Bill 65 will require the administration to work with the private sector and provide comprehensive guidance to ensure U.S. companies are not using forced labor in their supply chains. It would uh, significantly strengthen our government's ability to restrict the importation of goods made with forced labor in Xinjiang. I urge my colleagues to support this bill. With that, I want to thank you. Back. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Senator Ribby. <clears throat> uh, with that, um, we are now consider nine nominations on the agenda in block. They are uh, Michelle Season to be Assistant Secretary of State for International Organization Affairs, Larry Andre Jr. to be Ambassador to Somalia, Maria Brewer to be Ambassador to uh, Lesotho, uh, Tulanaval Moshinji to be Ambassador to Angola and to serve concurrently as Ambassador to Santana and Principe, Elizabeth Moore Alban to be Ambassador to Algeria, Eugene Young to be Ambassador to the Congo, Christopher Lamar to be Ambassador to Cameroon, Todd Robinson to be Assistant Secretary of State for International Narcotics and Law Enforcement Affairs, and Daniel Kreitenbrink to be Assistant Secretary of State for East Asia and Pacific Affairs. Do any members have any comment uh, that they wish to make on any of these nominations? If not, is there a motion to approve these nominations in block? So moved, seconded. There's the moves and second. The question is on the motion to approve the nominations in block. All in favor will say aye. Aye. All those opposed will say no. The ayes have it, and the nominations are agreed to. Okay. We'll now consider S-65, the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. Are there any members who wish to comment on the bill? Senator Rubio. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, the ranking member, for bringing this up. I want to thank Senator Merkley, who's been a phenomenal partner in this. Um, I don't think this issue uh, needs a lot of explanation. And by way of we have 53 co-sponsors, many members of this committee, uh, j just briefly, for those who may be watching or, or thinking about it, wondering why this is coming up, the Chinese Communist Party's turned Xinjiang into a la huge labor camp. If you look at the satellite imagery, it indicates that there are more than over 100 mass detention facilities in the area, they've, uh, researchers have identified 1,500 companies that are located in or near these facilities that are exporting products to places around the world. And that actually just scratches the surface about what we know because uh, auditors aren't allowed to conduct proper due diligence uh, in, in China. In fact, last, uh, a report from last September noted that there's at least five organizations that they will not help companies audit their supply chain in Xinjiang because the police state and the government of the Chinese Communist Party makes it impossible to determine whether uh, uh, factories or farms are relying on forced labor. This is slavery. Simple as that. American companies argue that their supply chains are clean. And what this bill says is, prove it, especially if it's coming out of Xinjiang. It says if, it, if you want to import something to the United States from this region, you have to prove that those goods were not made with forced labor. Otherwise, it is presumed that it was. And it, that presumption applies to everything. Every good, everywhere, every article, every merchandise, Everything that's mined, produced, manufactured wholly or in part, everything um, is presumed to be made with forced labor unless they can prove otherwise, which will be 
I think in most cases nearly impossible to do, if not all cases, because the Chinese Communist Party doesn't allow those kinds of audits to occur. So that, that's what the bill does. I hope we can pass it. We've had to work with the House to get the language lined up. We really just want to make this a law. Can we always make it better and stronger? I imagine you always could argue that, but if we don't get this thing past the finish line and over the House, there's a chance it'll take another year to pass it. And I think it's time to act on this, and I hope we will. Thank you. Thank you. Commend both of you and Senator Merkley on your work here. Senator Merkley. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman, and a huge thanks to Senator Rubio for uh, leading this effort. Uh, I've been pleased to partner with him on that. The uh, uh, Senator from Florida also was chair of the Congressional Executive Commission on China, and I'm chair now. We've worked, been working together on these human rights uh, uh, issues, and I appreciate the support of the uh, uh, commission team in helping develop uh, insights and strategies for this bill. The scope and scale of forced labor in Xinjiang demands bold action. The Chinese government is systematically and pervasively exploiting the forced labor of Uyghurs, Kazakhs, and other predominantly Muslim ethnic minorities through labor in mass internment camps, prisons, labor transfers, and so forth. This is part of a larger pattern of oppression that uh, includes restrictions on reproductive uh, possibilities for, for Uyghurs and other groups. Uh, the um, former Secretary of State went through the process and found that the actions of China constituted genocide. Our current Secretary of State's team has done the same and reached the same conclusion. This labor, uh, abuse occurs and uh, is involved in a, a staggering range of, of industries and, and products. So it taints the supply chain if American companies and consumers are buying products from that region. It makes us complicit in this horrific abuse of human rights. And thus, this, this bill is absolutely uh, necessary to sustain our values. It comes a week after we recognize Juneteenth as a holiday. Juneteenth, a, a holiday that celebrates the end of slavery, forced labor in America. Uh, let's uh, follow up on that by recognizing and acting on the issue of slavery, forced labor in China. Thank you, Senator Merkley. Anyone who wishes to comment on this bill at this point? Senator Cruz. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, I have an amendment on this bill that I want to call up. It's Cruz First Degree One. Uh, I would ask the gentleman to withhold. Uh, I, I was looking for comments. We're going to have a substitute, and then your amendment would be in order. Okay, the then I'll withhold and I'll discuss my amendment at the appropriate time. Okay. If there are no other members uh, looking to comment on the bill, uh, I'd ask that there be a motion to approve the substitute amendment by voice vote. Is there so, uh, is there so moved? Seconded? I'll second it myself. It's moved and seconded. The question on the motion to approve the substitute amendment, all those in favor will say aye. 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 Opposed? No. There are no no's. The ayes have it and the amendment is agreed to. Um, okay. Are, now are there any further amendments? Senator Cruz. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. At this point, I call up Cruz first degree one. Uh, let me say the underlying bill is an important initiative. And I'm proud to support it. I commend the members on both sides of the aisle who have worked on it. Uh, this is, there is an existing and deepening bipartisan consensus that you, if you've got a product with metals or minerals from Xinjiang, 
that it was made with forced labor, that it was made with slavery. Uh, however, there is one major potential exception to this bill that has a potential to dramatically undermine its effectiveness and weaken it, and that concerns electric vehicles. Right now, uh, China, according to the most recent authoritative report on this issue, published just a few days ago, quote, China leads across the electric vehicle value chain, from critical mineral inputs to battery production to vehicle manufacturing and even increasingly to EV brands. The global transition to EVs relies on Chinese inputs. More specifically, Chinese manufacturers account for over 50% of global EV, EV production. China also leads global battery production and has developed outsized control over the critical materials inputs. EVs and the inputs for EVs are being ma manufactured in Xinjiang, manufactured with forced slave labor, manufactured with horrific human rights conditions. What my amendment does is makes clear that we cannot import electric vehicles from Xinjiang. Now, one of the objections to this amendment is the amendment is redundant. But I'm going to tell you why it's not redundant. Because there is countervailing legal authority uh, that, that we have, and in particular, it is President Biden uh, signed Executive Order 14008, directing the administration to use the full extent of all legal authorities to import electric vehicles. The mandate in Executive Order 14008, they're vast. They require officials to subordinate all domestic and foreign priorities to the requirements in the order. The order applies to all executive officials, including explicitly the Secretary of Homeland Security, who oversees Customs and Border Protection, and they are ordered to use all legal means and, quote, all available procurement authorities to acquire EVs for the government fleet. They are ordered explicitly to prioritize these mandates in their contracting and procurement. Today, the House Appropriations Committee is advancing an FY22 bill that creates a $300 million electric vehicles fund for agencies to purchase EVs. If my amendment is not adopted, here's what I believe will happen. This bill will pass into law, and the administration will follow the terms of this executive order and grant an exemption for EVs coming from Xinjiang, and we will begin bringing in hundreds of millions of electric vehicles manufactured by slave labor in grotesque circumstances. I don't believe that's justified. I think this committee should speak <clears throat> clearly that we're not going to be importing vehicles made through slavery, and so I would urge adopt adoption of my amendment. Chairman. Uh, who seeks recognition? Uh, Senator Rubio. I, too, don't want us to see us import anything from Xinjiang because I think everything that's made there, we have to presume, is made with slave labor. And, and, and that's what this law does. This law would prohibit it. The, the, Senator Cruz makes an important point about executive orders. And um, I, too, am concerned about that executive order, which is why passage of this bill is so important, because legislative language if implemented into law by the House, the Senate, signed by the President, would supersede. Now, could they obviously issue an executive order and ignore the law? They could. That's why we have courts. But ultimately, and they would be in violation of the law uh, by its own terminology. I don't have it in front of me, but I imagine it reads all legal authorities. Uh, this takes away the legal authority to import anything, anything 
from a plastic toy to an electric car from Xinjiang, unless you can prove a bunch of things, the, the most important of it being that the good was not mined, produced, or manufactured wholly or in part by, by forced labor. So um, I, I actually think that uh, the, this bill is needed in order to make sure that that executive order cannot be used in, in the way that the senator is concerned about. And um, I, I oppose this amendment because I, I just think the bill covers everything. This is everything is banned from Xinjiang, and the, bear, the, the, the bar for meeting the presumption um, is so high, given the nature of the Chinese government in particular, this, it's practically impossible to conduct proper to, due diligence in Xinjiang because the government's control. They, they won't allow it. And so um, I, I just don't... I don't believe this amendment is necessary, but, and I actually think that the, it speaks to the importance of the bill as a whole. Senator Mer Merkel. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman, and I echo my colleagues' uh, points. The structure of the bill uh, presumes uh, that goods have been built uh, with uh, forced labor, with slave labor, but it provides an opportunity for corporations to show otherwise and prove their case, referred to as rebuttable presumption. Uh, that rebuttable presumption should be applied equally across all industries, uh, which it would not be if that was stripped from one particular industry. And so for those reasons, uh, I join my colleague in opposing the amendment. Any other members seeking recognition on this amendment? Yes. Mr. Senator Chairman. Haggerty, yes. Thank you. Um, Mr. Chairman, I'd, I'd like to compliment uh, my colleagues, Senators Merkley and Rubio, for the hard work that they put into this amendment, which I supported. But I also share Senator Cruz's concerns about this executive order. And I'd like to call up an amendment, Haggerty Second Degree One, to Cruz First Degree One. This amendment, which I introduced earlier this week, seeks to explicitly prohibit the importation of solar panels, which similarly would be covered under the executive order that Senator Cruz mentioned, and prohibit the importation of those panels that are produced or manufactured in Xinjiang with slave labor keep them from entering the United States. There's growing bipartisan consensus that China's supply chain with respect to solar panels heavily relies upon forced labor. Uh, indeed, the Biden administration just put out a fact sheet um, this morning highlighting the issue and authorizing our Customs and Border Patrol to detain shipments that contain products made by Hoshine. That's a Chinese company that uses forced labor to make solar panels. So I suggest that we should expand the ban and make it explicitly clear that solar panels made in China with forced labor will not enter the United States. Mr. Chairman, I ask for a recorded vote. Mm -hmm. Anyone seeking recognition? Senator yep. Markey. Mr. Chairman, I have an amendment at the desk. And I would like to offer my second-degree amendment to... Um, yeah. Depending upon the parliamentary... In procedure, we... we um, we have the Haggerty Amendment before us as a second degree. We're going to have to vote on that first. Um, well, let, may I speak on the Haggerty Amendment? Yes, you may. Cruz Amendment, um, as they're both pending before I make my amendment. So I, my amendment and, you know, my objection to these two amendments uh, is that um, each of these amendments is selectively targeting uh, electric vehicles and solar uh, technologies. Uh, my amendment will replace the unnecessary Cruz Amendment language with a requirement that the United States government address the true source of the problem that leads to the importation of goods implicated 
in Chinese forced labor, the fact that these items are no longer produced in the United States. Senator Cruz's amendment to prohibit exceptions only for electric vehicles is so selective, so targeted, that its true purpose is undeniable. It is aimed at slowing and demonizing the transformative clean energy economy, which is saving consumers money and saving us from the existential threat of carbon pollution, pollution uh, energy. Uh, if we want to protect human rights, let's look at the big picture problem. Millions of items come into the United States from China every year, uh, yet we're supposed to believe the only special concerns relate to solar panels uh, and electric vehicles. What do these two items have in common? Well, they pose a threat to the big oil industry. And I'd like to direct my colleagues' attention to the July 2020 business advisory issued by the Trump administration, the Trump administration, identifying specific sectors implicated in forced labor inside Xinjiang. Here's what Donald Trump says. It's agricultural items. Cell phones. Every one of us is carrying a cell phone on us right now that's cited by the Trump administration. Cleaning supplies, construction, cotton, electronics assembly, uh, extractives, uh, hydrocarbons, oil, uranium, zinc, fake hair and wigs, food processing, um, noodles, printing products, footwear, uh, uh, sugar, textiles, toys. That's a lot of products. That's a lot of products. Yet this amendment targets one particular industry. Um, Senator Cruz targets the electric vehicle industry. Senator Haggerty, the solar industry. Uh, every single one of us has an iPhone as we're sitting here. Um, did you shop um, on Amazon Prime for a day? Did you check your email using Microsoft technology? These companies all reportedly provided web services to Chinese surveillance firms that help repress, repress religious minorities. So we have to, in my opinion, have a, an ability to deal with all um, of these issues. So that's what my amendment does. It reinforces the fact that we're truly looking to halt the import of false, uh, of forced labor products. Then we need to be ready to investigate all products that may be produced by forced labor in China. But we also have to recognize the other side of this coin. United States companies have abandoned American workers to bring their businesses to China. They've just abandoned our own workers, where they are then complicit in human rights abuses. And that's across the board. If we want to stop the cycle of US businesses facilitating and benefiting from forced labor and other abuses, we have to bring the production back home. And that's why my amendment will require the United States government to offer concrete proposals to increase United States domestic production to replace all imports we know are being made by forced labor. We need to be honest in the pursuit of human rights internationally. Uh, we just can't be selective. We have to do this as a policy in our country. And we should not be backing any commercial interests that have a track record uh, of putting personal profit over the lives of Americans and foreign workers. Uh, so I would say to my colleagues, uh, I want to uh, work with you. If you want to do something here domestically to protect the electric car industry or the solar industry to create uh, production incentives, let's do it. Let's work together. Let's have a plan. 
China has a plan. We need a plan here domestically if we're going to win. And so my amendment basically says that our job here uh, should be to not only to be condemning what is going on, but to simultaneously put a plan together in order to make sure that we don't have to do this again in the future. Thank, Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, now, before I call on Senator Cardin, the second vote is about to be closed, uh, and I'm understanding that they, uh, I'm not sure how much longer they're going to keep it open. And we need to maintain this quorum. Uh, if I ask Senator Van Hollen if he could just stay with us a moment uh, so that we can, so that we can, well, my purpose is to try to move to a vote uh, on the amendment so that we can move forward. But we'll need to keep the quorum or else we will not be able to do that. Mr. Chairman, I, I don't know if they're going to close the vote, but I, I do have to vote there as well as here. We all, I think we're all voting. Are we all the same vote? Oh, I didn't realize no one here has voted. Okay. Yeah, right. no one including the chair has voted. Okay. So. And that, okay. I didn't realize that. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Chairman. Uh, one moment, please. Yeah. Senator Cardin, yes. And, I, and, I'll, and I'll be brief. We had a subcommittee hearing on the circumstances with the Uyghurs. This is genocide, what's happening there. I really applaud Senator Ribio and Senator Markey for bring, uh, Markley for bringing us this bill. This bill is critically important for us to get done, and it's drafted properly to deal with any product, any product. This is not the debate on the climate agenda. So uh, the, the amendments actually, I think, weaken the bill. Any one of the versions would weaken the bill. Now, I'm very much opposed uh, to, to the, any of these amendments. I think the Markey Amendment is the best of the three, so I would support it as the, what we should vote on. But I hope that we reject all of these amendments. The bill is drafted for all goods. We shouldn't be getting into a climate discussion on a bill that's so important to deal with a global human rights urgency. Thank you. Senator Cruz, uh, I'll give you another shot here, and then we're going to go to a vote. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, let me first of all thank Senator Haggerty for his amendment. I think it's a good and positive amendment, and I'm willing to accept it as a friendly amendment uh, and incorporate it into my amendment uh, because I think it is consistent with the, the spirit and objective of my amendment, and I think it improves it. Uh, addressing the arguments that have been made in response to, to this amendment, uh, I don't think the arguments withstand even the slightest scrutiny. There are two possibilities. One, Senator Rubio suggested this amendment's unnecessary. The bill already prohibits electric vehicles made with slave labor. If the bill already does it, if it is purely redundant, then it ought to be easy to accept this amendment. The problem is that argument is not true. The bill explicitly con contains a provision for the Commissioner of Customs and Border Patrol to make exceptions. If it were redundant, it would be easy for everyone to vote for. The reason why this is contested, the reason why this is dis there's disagreement is because it's not redundant. Several senators have asked, why would you directly address electric vehicles or solar panels? It's not complicated because the Biden administration has made clear that its priority is electric vehicles and that priority trumps everything else. No. So there's a reason to anticipate that the Biden administration will invoke that exception. I would note Senator Markey in his language, I, I, I think perhaps grabbed the wrong folder walking in and got his talking points from the 1970s when he said that Texas doesn't understand alternatives to energy. I'll point out the state of Texas is the number one producer of wind energy in the country. 
The state of Texas produces far more solar energy than does the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Tesla is now building electric vehicles in Texas. I am a big believer of all of the above. I think electric vehicles have enormous potential. I think solar has enormous potential. I think wind has enormous potential. And Texas is leading the front on all of those. But if this committee votes on a party-line basis right now to reject the amendment, I want people to understand the consequences of that. Because history is long, in particular, the votes in this committee last through history. If this amendment is voted down, the underlying bill will pass. And then mark my words, the Biden administration intends to waive these provisions for electric vehicles. And what any member of this committee who votes no on this amendment will be saying is that a political commitment to the Green New Deal matters more than stopping slave labor because members of this committee will be deciding you're willing to bring in electric vehicles that were produced by slave labor in horrific human rights outcomes. I think the gentleman has made his point. The gentleman, uh, I don't, Privilege. I don't, point, I, point of personal I, I, One I don't want to uh, mitigate debate, I need but the option is going to be to recess, go vote, and come back, and then I don't know that we'll have a quorum. I can do it in Which the may time. be the object of some not to have a quorum, therefore they vote cannot take place. But I will recognize the okay, gentleman. I thank, I thank the chairman very much. I'll just say this. Texas does produce oil. Texas does produce natural gas, but it does not produce solar panels or wind turbines. That's important. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about the imports, not our exports from the United States, which is something that I think Senator from Texas wants to increase, rather the stuff that we're importing that is made with slave labor. Okay, that's what we're talking about. Mr. Texas Chairman, does I have, not manufacture those goods. I have Thank to you, Mr. preside Chairman. at noon, and that's not a that's not a I commitment that. I can avoid. So I'd like to take the vote with all due respect to all the members and their rights. With that, Mr. Chairman, one minute. Uh, less than one minute, please. Less than one minute. The solar industry has already uh, worked to start moving its production out of Xinjiang because of the important work that we're undertaking. If they were, in fact, accused of uh, uh, producing in that region, uh, then they have the, the right and ability to demonstrate under the rebuttable presumption uh, that that data is outdated and they have shifted their production. If you remove the rebuttable presumption, uh, you basically take away the ability of any company to show that they have done what we've asked them to do, which is to move their production. The waiver that, that Senator Cruz speaks to is not, is a waiver in which the company must prove that they have altered their behavior. And that's a very tough bar. We're going to, uh, to make sure the administration enforces. Thank you. Thank you. Based on Senator Cruz's uh, uh, suggestion, uh, I will uh, entertain that the vote be on the Haggerty Amendment to the Cruz uh, Amendment as, as uh, amended by Haggerty. Is that acceptable to Senator Cruz? It, it's certainly acceptable to have a, a vote on the All right, thank you. Uh, so that is the vote. The Cruz Amendment is modified by Haggerty. Clerk will call the roll. No. No by proxy. No by proxy. No by proxy. No by proxy. No. Mr. Murphy? No. Mr. Booker? No. Mr. Shots? No. Mr. Rich? No. Mr. Rubio? No. Mr. Johnson? I by proxy. I by proxy. 
Mr. Romney? Aye. Aye by proxy. Mr. Portman? No by proxy. No by proxy. Mr. Paul? Aye by proxy. Aye by proxy. Mr. Young? Aye by proxy. Aye by proxy. Mr. Barrasso? Aye by proxy. Aye by proxy. Mr. Cruz? Aye. Mr. Rounds? No. Mr. Haggerty? Aye. Mr. Chairman? No. Mr. Chairman, the A's are seven, the nays are 15. And the amendment is not agreed to. Our uh, I would ask uh, if we can, uh, does the senator withhold uh, his amendment based yes, upon the, thank you very much. Uh, the question then uh, is a motion to approve S65 as amended. Uh, all those in favor will say aye. 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 All those opposed will say no. The ayes have it. And the legislation is approved as amended and reported to the Senate in favorable consideration. Now. Uh, we, without objection, will consider S-1061, the Israel Relations Normalization Act of 2021. Uh, is there a motion to approve the substitute amendment? So moved. Is there a second? Second. All those in favor will say aye. Aye. All those say no. The no's, uh, the ayes have it, and the motion to approve the substitute amendment is agreed to. Are there any amendments uh, to this legislation? Senator Cruz. I have two amendments on this, which will take some time. So I know we have a vote, uh, but uh, I think these amendments need to be considered. So I don't know if the committee wants to recess or, or how the chairman wants to handle it. Well, I don't think that the floor will keep the vote open anymore. So uh, we will uh, we will recess and uh, immediately come back. Uh, I urge members, this is the only piece left. It's an important piece of legislation, but obviously we need the appropriate quorum for it to be considered. So. Uh, the uh, committee stands in recess subject to the call of the chair.